we are going to continue today this series of messages that we began last week and actually return to with some frequency. I usually try to get back to this uh, once every year. It's been almost two since the last time we did it. But it's important for us as a body of Christ to uh, uh, remind ourselves of what he's called us to become. Because otherwise we're just doing church. We're just having services and nice events and things. And hallelujah, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not enough. God has called us to uh, a special, unique uh, vision. And, and mission is about what you do. Vision is about who you are and what you're becoming. God has called this church, Crossroads Foursquare Church, to be something in this world for him. And that's what we're talking about because uh, one of the things I've figured out over uh, my lifetime as a pastor, and you probably have recognized this in your own life and other areas besides church life, is that vision tends to leak. And you can get your grip on a sense of calling and purpose and mission and vision and all that stuff. And over time you kind of tend to, with all of the stuff that goes on in life, to lose the the firmness of that grip on those things. And so we need to come back from time to time just to reset our hearts in the right direction. That's what we're doing these weeks together. In Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 2, there's a verse that says this, Write the vision and make it plain that he may run who reads it. It's hard to be in hot pursuit of anything if you don't know clearly what it is you're pursuing. And I am, I'm old enough now, I don't have time to mess around. I don't want to just be doing church. I want to be in hot pursuit of that for which God created me and called me. I'll bet you do too. And if that's going to happen, we always have to have in view a clear perspective on what that calling is toward, otherwise we lose our way. The Bible says in another place that without a vision people perish. That doesn't mean they die, it means they become adrift. They're just pushed around by the wind and waves and circumstances of life. And too many of us live that way. Too many churches are like that. Let's don't be that. Let's be, be people who understand the vision that we've been called to so that we may run in pursuit of it. Amen? Amen? Now, I'm going to put on the screen our vision statement. That's not all that important at all. In fact, you know, it's, it's just words that I cooked up to try to capture what I sensed the Lord calling our church to become years ago. So there's nothing sacred about these things, but so I'm not asking you to memorize them or, you know, treat them with awe or anything, but I do want you to see if you can, can hear within these words Something of God's calling upon you as you are part of this church family to be um, linked with the people that you're sitting around in pursuit of this. That I believe God has called this church, Crossroads Foursquare Church, to become a comfortable place to seek. A dynamic place to worship, which is what we're going to talk about today. A caring place to heal a solid place to grow, and a joyful place to serve. And those five descriptive terms, comfortable, dynamic, caring, solid, and joyful, are things that I believe capture a sense of what God wants us to be in this world for His sake. 
And so, uh, as I said, we're going to deal with the second of these things today that I believe God has called us to become a dynamic place to worship. And that's why I asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 21. And beginning at verse 12, we're going to read some verses here that I come back to even uh, more frequently than I do with you when we uh, talk about these things together every uh, 18 months to two years. I come back to these verses much more frequently than that because I find, and you may not, but I find in these verses much about God's heart concerning the church. <clears throat> then Jesus went, and by the way, let me just say that this happens after, right after, this is his first stop, Jesus' first stop after his triumphal entry. That means his coming into the city of Jerusalem for the final week of his earthly ministry. First stop is the temple. And that's where we meet him. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. More about this in a little bit. But you can already tell he's kind of made a mess of things. And he said to them, it is written, and now he's quoting from the Old Testament, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. He said, this is God speaking. He's quoting from the prophet. God speaking. My house, the place, the, the environment where my people gather, my people, is supposed to be a place where folks meet God. The whole quote is a house of prayer for all nations. People everywhere, anybody seeking God can come and meet me. That's what this is about. But you've made it a closed system, a den, that people can't get into unless they're initiated, unless they wear the right underwear and know the secret password. <laughs> you've made it a den of thieves, people who actually rob others of the presence of God by the way they behave. It's a very strong indictment to the scribes, Pharisees, and religious leaders, the keepers of the flame of the temple. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. More about that in a little bit as well. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, notice now that, okay, I do have to stop here, that the because I don't want you to miss this. This is not the usual thing that would go on at the temple. It was a well-oiled machine. It was, you know, worship happened there in a very structured and very uh, professional manner. But now, all of a sudden, little children are singing. And they say, Hosanna, which means save now, to the Son of David, and that's a reference to the Messiah. So these little children are saying, save now, Messiah. And they're, they're talking about Jesus. And the scribes and Pharisees, it says at the end of verse 15, were indignant. Um, they were mad. They were ticked off. That literally means angry over what these children are singing and, and saying. And uh, they said to Jesus, the scribes and Pharisees, they come to him and they said, verse 16, Do you hear what these are saying? And I love this. Jesus said to them, Yes. <laughs> I love that. Do you hear what these are saying? Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Have you never read? And oh boy. Because these guys, the scribes, Pharisees, and religious leaders, not only did they memorize the scriptures, but they memorized how many characters, how many letters, so to speak, were in each verse of the, they had it down. And he says to them, have you missed this somehow? Have you never read? And then he quotes, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise. And I love this because, get this now, Jesus is observing the mess that's been made by the overturning of the money changers' uh, tables. Money's rolling around on the floor. People diving after it, you can imagine, in a big crowd. And the uh, tables were, or stalls or booths where a- sacrificial animals were being sold. That's all been opened up. And you imagine animals running around, doves flying. You know what animals do? Do, do. You know what animals do? All that's happening inside this temple. And little children, you know, in a place where, you know, worship was very professional, little children and their squeaky voices are croaking out, Hosanna to the son of David. And the blind and the lame are coming to be healed. Now, you have to know that the blind and the lame, the um, people who are handicapped or diseased in some way, were not welcomed into the inner part of the temple. But now they come. So everything is out of order. And Jesus surveys this scene and he says, this is perfect praise. We should take note of that. Now, I don't think Jesus was b- making a case for chaos. <laughs> I don't think that he was saying that uh, the, a church that's a worshiping church ought to be a place where it's just a free-for-all. I don't think that at all. But I think he was upending what a lot of us think in terms of what, uh, how worship ought to be conducted. And we need that from time to time. Now, when we talk about being a dynamic place to worship, you know, one way to use that term dynamic is lively. Now, I happen to like lively worship. That's just a preference of mine. Now, over the last 10 years, uh, the worship music of the church has become much more uh, moody and introspective, and that's all wonderful. Uh, You know, but I prefer a more lively, it doesn't matter what my preference is. It doesn't matter what the style of the worship music of the church is. What matters is this other way that this word can be used and should be used and is being used in this context, life-giving, living worship. Where there's life in it, where the presence of Jesus is known, that's what matters. That's what matters. Let's, Let's march our way back through this for a few minutes and, and see if we can't peer into what the scene that Jesus framed and said, this is perfect praise. And, and, and see if we can't pull out of that some of the components of what he was talking about. I'm going to give you four things, there may be others, but this is important stuff to me and how I think about what it is to be a dynamic place to worship. Number one is that religiosity is confronted. Now, what I mean by religiosity is, to to me, religion is any time human beings tried to add stuff to worship. 
to enhance it in some way. Anytime we do that, we're, we're really going to screw things up, just let me tell you. And that happens here. Now, you might be uh, uh, looking at the verses we read and thinking, well, who let these, uh, these uh, merchants into the temple in the first place? Well, the, the scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders did. They did that. They contracted with these guys or leased out space in the temple so that they could do these things, so that they could change money and so they could sell sacrificial animals. And you know why they did that? They did that not to make money. I'm sure in the beginning their motives were completely pure. Let's enhance the opportunity for people to worship. Let's make it easier for people to worship. We got people coming from all over the world. They bring money in the coin of their nation and let's, find, let's have a way for them on site to be able to change their money into the coin of the temple so they can uh, make their tithes and offerings financially in a common coin, common currency. Sue and I, we just recently returned from Asia. When we went there, when we got off the plane, we exchanged our U.S. dollars for NT, New, Taina, uh, New Taiwanese dollars. On the way back, we did the reverse, and both times they took a percentage of it. That's how those guys make their money. That's what these guys were doing, and that's, I guess, acceptable. It's, it's what you would imagine, except that over time, like everything that we tend to want to add to the simple worship of Jesus. It became a burden. These guys began to gouge people with the percentage that they were taking and the religious leaders countenanced it because the more they make, the more the temple gets. Then you have the guys that are selling sacrificial animals. Again, uh, you can understand why they did this in the beginning because, you know, if you're coming from Ethiopia to worship at the temple in Jerusalem, you don't want to drag your little lamb with you all that way. It's not going to work out so well. So you come and you buy your sacrificial animal on site, your lamb or dove or bullock or whatever it is, and offer it. So that makes sense, doesn't it? Hope, doesn't it? But again, like everything that human beings try to tack on to the simple worship of, of God, it became polluted. And um, so what you have now is this situation. See, the more the, the sellers of these animals make, the more comes to the temple. So the priests who have to inspect sacrificial animals, because they, they had to determine whether they were without blemish before they could be offered. The priests who have to inspect the sacrifices now are incented to disqualify your sacrifice if you bring your own. Because if they disqualify the one you brought, then you've got to go over and buy one. There's a kickback to the church and a financial uh, um, benefit. You see what I'm saying? So it's awful. It's polluted. But I think all of us have been around enough to know it's real easy for Christian people, not to, not to mention any, just people in general, to want to tack on, build up, create these systems of things that we call religion and just really kind of get in the way and become impediments, obstacles to true worship. So Jesus comes in and he just wholesale throws them out. 
Now, <clears throat> I was a little, little uh, more tactful uh, when I did a couple of things in this church that some of you will remember. You, many of you wouldn't, but some of you will remember. We used to have these little round tables around the auditorium here. About every two or three chairs, there would be a little table. And those little tables used to be here because we would also have right smack dab in the middle of our worship service a food break. And everybody would get up, no kidding, no joke, everybody would get up and go through this line and get, get food and come back and then I'm supposed to preach to people while they're eating. So that, that used to happen and God blessed, I mean the reason that that got started many years ago was all for the right reasons. We wanted to create a very uh, open, comfortable environment for people and, and, and it worked, it was important for a while. But like most things, if you're not careful, they can, be, they, can, um, they can become something unintended. There are unintended consequences when we try to, when we're not, when we hold, if we hold too tightly to these things that are just add-ons, if we don't hold them loosely enough, they start to take over and actually literally become impediments to worship. Those tables, we needed those seats. Every one of those tables took a place where someone could sit. And the food break, well, that's another story altogether. But anyway, we had an Easter service one time and, we, and it was clear to everybody, hey, you know, we, got it, we need every seat today. So I just, we took all the tables out, replaced them with chairs, and I just never put them back. <laughs> and then the, uh, the uh, food uh, break, I just, I said, no more. And you know what? Nobody starved. We're all in good shape. And uh, it worked out okay. And I don't have to contend with you sitting there eating a donut while I'm trying to <laughs> preach to you. My point is that it's easy to happen, you know, anywhere, anytime. And we just have to be on the lookout always. Will you join me in this? Please. Please help us. Let's help each other. Let's watch out for religiosity because it will get in the way of what we want us to become, what God wants us to become, a dynamic place to worship. Second thing I see here is that childlikeness was valued. Now, um, please don't misunderstand me. I, I, I don't think we should ever do anything in terms of how we serve Jesus that we don't bring our A game and we don't offer our best, we don't do the, we don't, we don't come with the highest intentions of, of, um, of quality, uh, but there is a line you can cross where you lose your childlikeness and the simplicity. You know, I have a son who's very artistic and he does paintings, any kind of medium you wanna uh, to uh, mention, he, he's, he can create magnificent works of art in them. And I, I don't know, sometimes I wonder if, well, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder how in the world that anybody related to me could become like that. But anyway, he is. But the most priceless, and we have a number of his works in our house, on, his, on our walls and stuff, but the one that's most priceless to me, he did when he was about, I don't know, six or seven years old, and it's very crude, but um, the childlikeness that it captured, I mean, as a father, just means so much to me. Our Heavenly Father is like that too. 
I have a friend named Bobby Chance. He'll be here in about three months to speak to us on a Sunday morning. And some of you have met him before. It's been a couple of years since he was here last. But he's a, he's a wild and crazy guy. And, but the Lord really uses him. And um, excuse me. He said to me something one time that's really stuck with me and really shaped my life. As years ago, he said to me, Randy, you have to maintain a certain amount of funkiness. <laughs> and, and if you know me at all, you know funky is not me. I, 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 uh, but I've learned that funky for me is related to childlikeness. Not childishness. You know there's a difference? But childlikeness. The simplicity that we just come to offer our hearts before God. And I, uh, I, I've already said, and you heard it, that I, I'm not making a case for somehow some low level of quality in terms of what we offer to God in, in worship, and particularly musical worship. But, but there is a line you can cross, and I'll be frank with you, I think that uh, the church, not only in the United States, but around the world, is pretty close to that line right now where in many cases, certainly not all, but in many cases, it'd be hard to distinguish between what happens in the name of a worship night and any rock concert that you'd go to anywhere. It'd be hard to tell the difference on the face of it. Again, that's not all, but there is some. And the drive towards excellence that is, to me, a godly thing can, if we're not careful, to maintain some funkiness, take us over the line. Again, I ask you, our worship team and leaders are devoted to making sure that we offer God together worship that is everything we got, the best we got, but not losing sight of that simple childlikeness. But let's all of us hold each other accountable to that goal because that's part of what God has called us to be a dynamic place to worship. Amen? Third, and maybe this doesn't need to be said, but I, I think it does, that one of the things we see here in this picture that Jesus framed for us when he said this, this is perfect praise, is Jesus is in that picture. Now, I, I, I know that there are times when People are, think that they're involved in worship, but Jesus isn't in the room. You know what I mean? Now, of course, theologically speaking, God inhabits everywhere. There's no place you can be that he's not, but you know what I'm talking about. I've led some of those meetings. I don't want to do it again. Every time we gather together, dear ones, let's commit together that we will do nothing unless Jesus is present. Why bother? We need him. Finally, when, when dynamic or living, life-giving, life-filled worship is happening, healing flows. The blind and the lame come and they get healed. Whatever condition you, you have that's uh, needing the t healing touch of Jesus, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever it is, there is when life-giving worship is happening, you can't stop it. You can't hold it back. It happens. God meets needs. Just what he does. 
He's a good, good father, as we sang earlier before. It's who he is. And when he is present, when he is honored, when he is exalted and lifted up in a place, healing flows and goodness knows. God knows we need it. This is recording number 11261 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, May 28, 2017. This is the second message in a series titled, Our Vision. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, A Dynamic Place to Worship. 